the American people will soon find out if the United States is going to war. Fires are raging across Brazil's Amazon rainforest. At the stroke of midnight, the U.S. hit China with tariffs on $34 billion worth of goods. Hurricane Dorian made landfall with wind speeds of 185 miles per hour. Multiple drones bombed Saudi Arabia's largest oil facilities today. 60,000 people have fled their homes in northeastern Syria. It's like these 500-year floods or 100-year floods. They're happening every other year. Anti-government protesters in Hong Kong have taken to the streets. The magnitude 7.1 quake was felt from Los Angeles all the way to Nevada. It is one of the worst escalations of violence on the Israel-Gaza border in years. The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Randy Reams is pastor of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. Join Pastor Randy now as he shares truths from God's unchanging word. Then, then it says, after the wedding at Cana, uh, in verse 12 of chapter 2, they go to Capernaum, where this guy in the story is from. So the Bible tells us Jesus, his mother, and his family go to Capernaum. Jesus actually moves to Capernaum after the death of John the Baptist is beheaded. I don't know if you guys know that. That's the house of where Peter is. They've actually dug up Peter's house. You can go there and look at it online, okay, this kind of thing. They used to think Capernaum was this poor, for, poor fishing village, but as they've done the archaeology, oops, we were wrong. Uh, it was actually a wealthy commerce place. Uh, and thus you see Peter, for example, had boats, plural, so, but then Passover comes, and it's required for all males to go to Passover. So Jesus travels to Jerusalem, okay? So from Capernaum, let me see, 12, 20, that's about 125-mile walk to get to Jerusalem for Passover, okay? In chapter 3, while Jesus is still there, is when Nicodemus comes and sees him, and you get the famous John 3.16, Towards the end of chapter 3, they're in that region of Judea, which would be around Jerusalem. And the disciples are baptizing people, and so is John the Baptist. And that's where we covered the idea when people came to John trying to see if he can get him stirred up about Jesus doing the same thing. Okay, In chapter 4, when we get to verse 3, Jesus decides he's going to travel back to Cana. But along the way, he has to go through Samaria. That's where he encounters the woman at the well, tells her about her husband, okay? And, and the, the people say this, ask Jesus to stay longer. So Jesus stays three days. Thus, the verse we read today, it says, after those, three day, after those two days, excuse me. So he stays two days with them. And it tells us in verse 41, just coming before what we read today, First of all, Jesus did no miracles in Samaria. Not one. They didn't ask for any either. Okay? But the Samaritan believed his word. It literally says in verse 41, many more believed because of his word. Verse 42, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. They heard Jesus and believed him to be the Savior of the world. Okay, that leads us right into the verse where we started today. So once he leaves Samaria, he's heading back for Cana. All right? Along the way, he has to go through Nazareth. Okay? And that 
if I step out of the camera, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. Okay. Sephoris, that it gets it changes very di different names along the way. Okay, but he ha he asked the road literally T's in that town. Okay, that would they would turn towards Cana. So here in verse forty three through forty five. John sets the general settings for where this story takes place. He says, and after two days, that is his days in Samaria, he leaves for Galilee. So you can see where the sort of light pink and the darker pink blend, where the border is. Is there an exact border? There is a border crossing where you got to check it. No. Okay. So, you know, guys are way smarter than me, the ones who figure this out. Okay. Now, what is interesting is none of the other Gospels cover the period of time we've been talking about since Christ's baptism up through the time where he arrives back in Cana and Capernaum. The other Gospels don't cover this. Only John covers this period of time, and he sets the setting to it. But do notice he has to go through Nazareth. And, and the, this was an epiphany for me, maybe not for you. Maybe you know this map. But it was an epiphany based on something Jesus says here that seems so out of place. Okay, but Stephorus or Sephorus was the capital of Galilee. It was the capital city, four miles from Nazareth. It had paved roads. This is uh, the ruins there at Sephorus. Over there, that is Nazareth. They're on two hills. So I'll give you another picture from it. That's Nazareth. You could see the capital city from Jesus' hometown. Okay? So the Church of the Annunciation is there. They built churches all over these sites, so you really couldn't do any archaeology there if you wanted to. Okay? But in 4 BC, after Herod the Great died, the city had been destroyed during one of the Jewish revolts. Okay? So Herod Antipas, around 4 BC, begins to rebuild this city. When Herod the Great dies is when Jesus, Mary, and Joseph leaves Egypt to return to Israel. The main construction project is this city. I wonder why a craftsman would move to Nazareth. I'm not the only scholar to think of this, folks. There, there's the work. That's where the government projects are. Now, the Bible says Jesus was, was, and Joseph was a carpenter, and I hear people all the time talk about this. Well, there's no trees. He couldn't be a carpenter. But actually, there's a national forest right behind this city. Literally. And this whole area was forested. You, you can go to the National Trail of Israel. You can go to Google Maps. And you can click and walk that trail as people have taken pictures through the forest. Some of it actually pine forest like you might see in McCall. All right? But... Tradition says about the 4th century, tradition starts telling us this is the hometown of Mary. Let me put it this way. Jesus' grandma and grandpa lived there. If that's the case, even if not, now those of you who live out of town, you come to town once in a while, buy groceries, and do your shopping. If Joseph, what wears, if he made wares, or if to pick up things, he went to this town, this city which was a government city. That is a mosaic from the town Agora, the, the shopping market. It wasn't a ho-dunk town. Matter of fact, Josephus calls it, 
He was a historian uh, from that period. He calls it the, or- the ornament of Galilee. Nice sidewalk. Notice the road is paved. We think of Jesus walking on dirt roads all the time. But this, it actually tees here, that would be looking northwest. The, the, the National Forest is back behind this. There's another park that, nearby there. Okay, so this looks southeast, so it, Beth, or Nazareth is off to the right. Look at the road. Jesus, when he comes to tell stories and he speaks to people, we, people in, for years have thought, here's this country bumpkin that lives in notice. I, I did that on purpose. And there's nothing there but a gas station, a restaurant, and I think a mercantile. All right? But that's the way they think of Jesus. But he lived four miles, okay, hour and a half, two-hour walk from a cosmopolitan city full of government workers. Let me say that again. Government officials. Where he experienced and saw all kinds of things. Even if Mary isn't from there, even if he didn't go there to visit his grandparents, that's where you went to town. All right? I want to put that in perspective a little bit. So he's got to pass, as he's traveling from Samaria to Canaan, he has to pass through his hometown and this town to get the paved road. I think they actually said there's seven paved roads that came to this town. The main road coming over from Haifa and so on all came into this town. All right? So now we're back. So he, he's on his way to Cana, but he has to pass through those two towns. And you'll see why I bring that up as we move on. Okay? So it says after two days, he comes into Galilee, this region. All right? But then he says this. This is the part that threw me off. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. This is not something Jesus said at that moment. You know, it doesn't say Jesus said. No, he testified. In other words, it's something he affirmed more than once. Remember, John is writing years after the events, and he's remembering something Jesus testified to, taught, spoke of more than once. If we look at Luke 4, Matthew 13, and Mark 6, you'll see where Jesus says this. I believe here that John is reminding the reader of another event that contrasts something that happened in Samaria. And he brings up in this story, and I'm not going to tell you yet. You're going to have to sit on the edge of your seat because I'm sure you are. Okay, Luke's gospel in chapter 4, verses 16 through 30, tells us that early in Jesus' ministry, which this is, sometime soon after returning to Galilee, which just happened, he goes to Nazareth and goes to the synagogue. What, What town does he have to pass through? Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue. And I want to pause on this point for a moment. It says, as was his custom. Jesus went to church. And I said it like that on purpose. Don't, okay. All right. All four gospels bear witness that Jesus taught and preached, proclaimed the gospel in particular, the kingdom, and did miracles 
in synagogues throughout Galilee. Explicitly, 11 times. Implicitly, you can go with more. But explicitly, he goes, and he went to the synagogue. And he did this at the synagogue. Okay? At the synagogue. That, that's where the Bible teaching was done. Now, let's get, if you know small communities in America in the past, because they were larger places to meet, they also use it for town hall meetings, you know, the meeting of the quilting club, sort of like this Grange Hall, okay? So, so we know from history that synagogues were used for various things because it was a place you, more than one person can meet. It was a group, but its main purpose was the teaching of the Torah. Okay, that's, I'll call it the Jewish Old Testament Bible, those first, particularly the first five books, okay? And, and they were typically, they were, stone benches around all sides and somebody could stand in the middle and they'd talk and dialogue and, and debate and teach. When they sent kids to school, they didn't do that every day like today. They sent them to Torah school and there the, the young boys would learn the Bible. Okay, But I want you to know that it was Jesus' habit to go to the place where they did Bible study. That is not a commercial for Wednesdays even though it is. Wait a minute. If Jesus is our example... And this was his custom, his habit. What are, ought ours to be? Unless, you know, you, you don't think you don't need it. Jesus thought he might be important to go, but maybe you don't. Yeah, I know. I don't want to be condemning, but I just, it's just intriguing that the Bible, there's only two things the Bible said Jesus did regularly. Go to synagogue and pray. It doesn't say much else. The things that he did, I'll say habitually. Okay. But there in his first visit to the synagogue in Nazareth, as he comes back into Galilee, he reads Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And he stops mid-sentence. Okay, this is where he declared the, uh, declare the year of freedom of the captive and all that kind of thing. Acceptable year of the Lord. He ends in the middle of the sentence. He doesn't finish that sentence. And they all get upset, and that's where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, no prophet but is welcome in his own hometown. That's where John gets it from. They actually try to throw Jesus off a cliff. That's pretty upset. Okay? Because he declares that he is fulfilling that messianic scripture from Isaiah. Okay? And they want to throw him off a cliff. In Matthew 13 and Mark 6, Jesus returns to Nazareth later in his ministry after many miracles and things have been done. He returns back there, and guess where he goes? Anybody want to guess? Goes to the synagogue. But, but there, the people are astonished by Jesus' wisdom, and they're like, where does this guy get this power from? Isn't it Joseph's boy? Isn't his mother his brothers, list his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, different one. His sister, aren't they with us? They get offended, but they don't try to kill him this time. Why? Because they say this guy can do stuff. And again, Jesus says the same thing. A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. So this is where John's now later drawing upon those two instances to say, as he's coming into Galilee, he, John remembers this. When you get to Galilee, they won't even honor you. Particularly because he goes to Nazareth this first time. Okay? I find it intriguing that in Samaria, the unclean people, stay longer 
His own people, let's kill him. I know you thought that only happened at the cross, didn't you? Right in the beginning, his own people from his own hometown said kill him. Okay? But I think that reflects back on chapter 1, verse 11. And he, Jesus, came to his own, and his own did not receive him. That is the opposite of what it just says in this text. Yeah, yeah. Let me watch what. Um, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. Oh, it's in a different sense, and we'll talk about that. Okay? But Jesus, back in chapter 1, John sets you up for this, saying, you know, his own people don't even receive him. He gets, when he gets into Galilee, his home county, if I could say it like that, and says, oh, yeah, I remember. Jesus said to people in his own county, don't accept him. All right? That, that one phrase, it is interesting to watch the scholars because that just seems to jump out in the wrong place. And they have all kinds of ways to explain. I just put it in the context of the other Gospels of where it takes place and where Jesus had to travel. Okay? So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. Why? Having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves were at the feast. So, all these Galileans, why did they receive Jesus? Because they traveled from up there, wherever they are in Galilee. They had traveled down to Jerusalem. Why? All males are required to go to Jerusalem for a feast. Matter of fact, in chapter 5, chapter 5 starts that way. Guess what? There's another one of those Jewish feasts. Everybody's required to go to Jerusalem, and Jesus goes back. But right here we know that the Galileans had to go as well, and while there they saw... Quote, the signs. Let me read from you in John chapter 2, verse, starting in verse 23, where this takes place. Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name as they observed his signs, which he was doing. Now the only thing we know he did was cleanse the temple, his first cleansing of the temple. Do you remember? I don't know if you remember when we preached on that. But what's Jesus' response to that is to people who are looking for signs. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them because he knew people. Because there was no need for anyone to tell him about what mankind is like, testify about man. For he himself knew what was in mankind. He's in Jerusalem. The only thing we know of he does is cleanse the temple. But the people believe because of what they see him doing. But Jesus goes, yeah, I ain't buying that. I know people. I think this is huge. This is why the people in Galilee received him. I'm assuming this. He's saying the same thing in his mind that he said when he saw him in Jerusalem. Yeah, I know you people. Because a prophet's not even received in his own hometown, home county. Okay? This, I think this is important because the only thing these people really know of Jesus are two things. Water into wine, up in Galilee, and the things that happened in Jerusalem. Outside of that, they just know him as Joe's boy. All right? And the next verse tells us this. Therefore... Because the people of Galilee know what happened in Jerusalem, therefore. He came into Cana of Galilee, and John takes the time to tell you this, where though he made water into wine. And a royal official's son, 
Somehow or another, royal official knows this. What Jesus did in Jerusalem, and this guy turned water into wine. Okay? John's making that clear, putting in perspective these guys, what they see of Jesus as far as ministry-wise, of course, that's all we really see here for any of us if we're just reading the Gospels, is these events right here. They didn't see what happened in Samaritan. I mean, nothing happened as far as miracles go, but many believe that. They, they haven't seen that. They're traveling back. Jesus pauses for two days. They get home first. By the time Jesus shows up in Galilee, in those towns, what happened in Jerusalem, everybody's heard about. That's what he says, because of what happened in Jerusalem. What made this guy think, this government official who would obviously know where this town is, I mean, Cana, Sepphoris, Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is about 12 miles away, about a five-hour walk. Now, Cana and Sepphoris is only about four miles apart. This guy comes five-hour walk to meet Jesus somewhere near Cana. We're not sure if it's in Cana because later it says when he comes into Cana, but somewhere right there where the story of the water and the wine, this guy comes... But we don't see any evidence from Scripture that Jesus has healed anybody yet. But wait a minute, if you can turn water into wine, and you're bold enough to do what you did over there in the temple, my boy's sick, I'm coming. And, and let's get real. We do it when life, when our boy is sick, or when life is doing that to us, we run to Jesus too. Some weeks we get too tired to pray, to read our Bible, and go to church until life happens then you walk five miles too, or five hours too. It metaphorically here, okay? So what would you do if you thought your child was going to die and you thought the answer was 12 miles away and you didn't have gas for your car because it was too expensive? This guy comes and asks Jesus to heal his son. Listen to Jesus' response. It's so positive and affirming. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply don't believe. Well, that's really sensitive, isn't it? It seems almost crass. It, it seems insensitive of Jesus in this situation. But remember, this is a bigger picture. He's come into Galilee where you're not received in your own hometown. He just left a town where he did no miracles and a bunch of people believed. He comes to his own hometown where they just tried to kill him. Moves through the capital on the way to Cana or at Cana where he turned water into wine. You people have to have an experience. But the guy, of course, like you and I, if our child was sick, he doesn't give up. Well, whatever. I'm not sure what you're saying, but my boy is sick. Would you please come down? Because it's literally downhill down to the Sea of Galilee. Would you come down and heal my son? Would you walk five and a half hours to heal my boy? And Jesus says this. It's not a promise. It's a declaration. Go, your son lives. Now, did he say your son is healed? No, but he said he's sick unto point of death. Okay? So he says, go, your son is healed. Then it says this. 
the official believed the word that Jesus spoke. Let me back up just a moment. Back to verse 41 about the Samaritans. And many more believed because of his word. This guy believes because Jesus spoke. The you when Jesus says, y'all don't believe unless there's signs and wonders, is not addressed to this guy. It's y'all. It's plural. It's not you individual, mister. It's y'all out here just don't believe. But this guy believed because Jesus said it. That's all he needed. He goes to return. We know when he runs into his servant on the way, it's the next day. I would imagine because he's walked five hours, had an encounter with Jesus. Don't know what time of day it was. Oh, that's right. We do know. It's one o'clock. Seventh hour is one o'clock in the afternoon. The guy probably spends the night wherever they are. Walks back because it is the next day as he runs into the, his servants and the servants have met him. They're, they want to go tell him that the son's been healed and doing well. And they meet probably halfway. I'm assuming if they're going the same speed, we're not doing one of those story problems in math right now. How long does it take this guy to get? To, OK, but the, the, along the way and he asked him, well, when did he get better? Well, yesterday at one. Hey, hey that, yeah, that's about the same time Jesus told me the guy's OK. And then it says this, he himself believed and his whole household. You know, we run into that phrase other places in the New Testament. The, the Macedonian jailer when Paul decides in prison and they sing. Okay, the jailer believes and all his household. Later um, in Corinth, uh, Crispus, he, he's the head of the synagogue where Paul would also go preach. Um, he believes and all of his household. It is interesting to me. Is you, could, you, you, can go, you don't have to believe me. You can go look it up. Okay, Southern Baptists have done the studies. All kinds of people have done the studies. If, if you lead a child to Christ or even a mom... Lead them to the Lord and they believe. Statistically, the rest of the family, of that odds of the rest of the family coming to Christ and believing, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but I'm in the 20 percentile range. If dad comes to Christ and believes, it's almost a 90% chance the rest of the family comes to Christ. Dad's how important are you? What you believe, dad, how important is it? This is Pastor Randy Reams, and I want to thank you for joining us today for Truths from God's Unchanging Word. This broadcast is a ministry outreach of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. And if you'd like to hear this message in its entirety or other messages, just visit kindredbible.org forward slash media. And there you can also subscribe to the podcast. If you're being ministered to by this broadcast, I'd like to ask you to consider financially supporting this ministry. Giving is easy. Just go to kindredbible.org forward slash give. There you can make a one-time gift or you can choose to become a monthly supporter. But if you prefer, you can send your gift to KBC PO Box 32, Nampa, Idaho 83653. Your prayers, words of encouragement, and financial support helps ensure that this broadcast will continue to be heard in your region and around the world. 
Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to Truths from God's Unchanging Word.